Welcome to episode 46 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jasper Vinci, and thank you for taking time of your busy day to listen to us. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The NHL season is finally starting to hit its stride, and now is your chance to win some money while you watch. Lucky for you, Bet Online has spreads, lines, and props on every single game this season, so you never have to worry about missing out on the action. But whether you're looking to place a bet on the NHL, international hockey, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we'll catch up with Greg Cameron from College Hockey News to break down the end of the college hockey regular season. But first, Jess, we have one story to touch on, and that's the WHL has finally been granted approval for their British Columbia division to host two hub centers for their teams to play in this season. Commissioner Ron Robinson announced last week that the league has received the green light from its government and will have its clubs play exclusively in two hub centers starting on March 26th. The hub center based in Kamloops will be the home base for the Kamloops Blazers, Prince George Cougars, and Vancouver Giants, and the Kelowna hub center will be home base for the Kelowna Rockets and the Victoria Royals. The BC division will be playing a 24-game season where the teams will travel from one hub to another with no stops permitted, and no fans will be allowed in the stadium during play. So Jess, this is the final piece of the puzzle for the WHL. How does it finally feel to have everyone back? I'm disappointed that we won't have interconference play. Portland had to come up to Washington to play their games there, to at least the first few games. Uh, there's still a hope. I haven't really heard much from the other teams, the smaller market teams, because this is going to hurt them. I mean, we've already seen one two team in the O say bye-bye, we'll never see you again. Our right, teams just locked up at the door, slammed the door and said, hey, all right. We're done. Well, I think it's good for a couple reasons. First and foremost, we finally have an answer on whether or not British Columbia will get to see hockey played this year. And that answer is yes. And that hockey is coming in the form of being played in a bubble. We've seen it work at the college level. The NCHC had a bubble for its winter break. Those games seem to go off without a hitch. I can only imagine we'll see the same thing out of the WHL. And where this also comes into play is it's given the BCHL some breathing room. The BCHL has announced they're pushing back their vote on whether or not they will suspend their season for another week. Now that we know we will have hockey in British Columbia, maybe they'll have some good news coming their way soon. But every WHL team will get to play. How fantastic is that? And just while that's some really exciting news for the WHL, we have some really, really big stories going on in the college world. And that's why we've recruited one of our favorites to come on and talk with us. So let's not wait any further. Now joining us is Greg Cameron from collegehockeynews.com. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you for having me back. Clearly means I did well enough on the first shift to get a second shift, so I appreciate that. We're going to grill you about the things in hockey world today and see how good you do. Oh, boy. All righty, let's go. All right, well, let's start with the easy one. Let me hear your take on the state of the hockey world. In general, I think from where it was a year ago, it's in a good place, I think. I like the cooperation that I've seen at all levels to kind of get people back onto the ice. Uh, obviously, it's not worked in a lot of different 
regions of the world, but that's sort of a scientific thing that I'm not as well read into as some of the people that deal with things that go on in our, our world like they do today. So I will take whatever we can get really this last year. I think the things that we've taken, things that they've given us have been pretty great. So I have no complaints very ready to see full stadiums again. I think it is still very weird to go on YouTube and, and look up old highlights and see full stadiums and just kind of get that shock inside me like, hey, that wasn't so long ago. Hopefully it's not so long into the future as well. The next question definitely is, is this season one with an asterisk? Can we call the winner of this season a fair one-out winner? I mean, I'm not knocking anybody. Some of these teams have gotten 29 games. Some teams have gotten 15 games. I don't know how to answer this one. I think I'm going to go, yes, they're a real contender. This is tough because I'm definitely of that group, of that ilk of people that think that sometimes you just need to realize that the situation was different. The circumstances were different. And and maybe that champion does need a little bit of a, a different recognition, at least on the outside, right? They'll still get the same trophy. They'll still get their name on it and all that stuff. But I wonder exactly some of the things that would make that so. And I think it comes back to the whole non-conference thing. They only played in their conferences and they only played against the teams that they always play against every year. And while that definitely does good for clarity once things do sort of get to the end of the season at the top of the standings in each league, it really doesn't do much for the middle, right? And that's why so much of our conversations right now involve this big bubble that is probably bigger than in years past. But I do think I'm going to say they are a real champion. I think that at the end of the day, whatever team ends up winning would not have been denied, however you put it. The way that the regionals are going to work, I think we're going to get a good enough mix of teams into each site, each of the four sites that we kind of get rid of all of the prior misconceptions we might have going in as to, you know, whose conference was strong, who was weak, who's real, who's not, stuff like that. Before we talk about any teams here, Greg, at least from my point of view, we're in for some really good games and some really competitive play coming up. How do these tournaments look, even though they might not look like they normally do? Yeah, I'm really excited. I definitely have some issues with the format for, you know, single elimination all the way through. I think the way that most of the leagues have done it is a way that they do a series to start and then lead up to a a quarterfinal or a semifinal where it becomes single elimination. But single elimination all the way throughout in some of these conferences that have never done it before, like the NCHC in particular, that's going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be a matter of bringing your best every single night. It's basically win or go home from here on out for a lot of these teams. And they've never faced that before. I think that I'm probably most excited to watch the Big Ten. We'll talk about the three teams at the top of the conference shortly here, I'm sure. But there's a sneaky fourth team there. I think that it's not a surprise when I'm going to say their name, but it's going to be kind of a a team you don't want to face right now, and that's Notre Dame. Notre Dame, they've won the Big Ten tournament a lot, and I think that that help is going to propel them into a good situation. Winners of four straight heading in. They've beaten Minnesota this year. They've beaten Michigan this year. They know what they're doing. They will definitely be one to watch in that Big Ten tournament. I have to ask you about one league in particular. 
Atlantic Hockey. I, I am thoroughly impressed by the way that they have played in many games this year. I've seen a very rapid improvement by them. So is it possible that we could see at least two teams from Atlantic Hockey sneaking in? This is the big question, isn't it? I'm starting to think we can now. I think obviously that has to happen really only one way, and that's AIC loses in the championship game of their conference tournament and then gets the at-large bid. Obviously, they are worthy of an at-large bid. I don't think it really has to be questioned now at this point, their credentials and their resume based on some of the years that they've put before this one. And while you might argue that the historical context of their bid doesn't matter, it really does for them. That's a league that traditionally only gets one team into this whole dance. I think the year that they had two teams in was the first year that they were founded. And that's been it. You're right about AIC being a difficult team, having a really good resume. I think that if there's a team that can beat them, obviously we all look at Army. They have a lot of the similar blueprints that AIC does. Very stingy on pucks, shot blocking, shot suppressing, great goaltending when they need it, good defense, and they're built from the back end out. And now with Army on the roll that they're on heading into this Atlantic Hockey Tournament, this is where we get that question, right? I do think at the end of the day, let's say it happens exactly like this. Army wins the Atlantic Hockey Tournament. AIC loses in the championship. I think that's the scenario where you get two Atlantic Hockey bids. You get Army, you get AIC, and uh, a little bit of history made for the first time in a few years. Thank you for thinking like that. You get the, oh, they don't belong. But when I look at pairwise on your page, and Army's not that far out. They're 25th. couple of tourney wins. A couple of teams lose, and you start seeing yes, American International is 14th. The pairwise this year has been such a jumble. Maybe it's time that we go to that other rating system that you guys have, shall we say, called for, that uh, crotch. Yes, the crash rating. The crash rating's been good this year. The way that the crash works for this year, as you guys might know, it's got a lot more to do with balancing the teams inside of their own conferences. And that's where AIC and Army are going to look really strong. So that's of no regard for them. I do like the pairwise. It makes it so easy for everyone at the end of the day to say, hey, guess which 16 teams are in? It's these 16. It can't be any other 16. So it's nice when it's nice and defined like that. We were joking it before. I don't know how I got allowed into CHN because I'm the least math friendly, math oriented of everyone there. I, I don't quite understand it as much as the rest of uh, our staff does, but I do think that the Cratch this year and everyone's understanding of that heading into tournament selection time will end up being important this year. I can't say how important because, you know, that's up to every individual committee members, but I, I know that they're paying attention to ways that they haven't paid attention to before this year. So as we've just brought up, the traditional pairwise rankings this year is kind of a shell of itself. Obviously, it can't fulfill every single proponent of it that it wants to. So how much more meaningful do these post-regular season tournaments become now that we don't have the traditional pairwise rankings? So more meaningful. And it's easy to say that, right? But this is truly the only year where you're guaranteed a bid one way only. And that's winning your conference tournament. 
I think if you watch the sport, you have an idea of a few teams that aren't going to win their conference tournament, but are locks. Like we could go back to the big 10 and talk about the top three teams there, or we could talk about the top teams over in the NCHC. I think there's a, a fair number of teams we could call a lock there, but these conference tournaments, they mean the world to all these teams. I think you won't find a team that's not, really, really excited to head into these, probably more so than in years past, just because of the circumstances. This is the first tournament they're going to play since everything got shut down. They, they didn't get to conference tournaments last year, so these are going to be really fun. So I think that begs the question. We all know the favorites. We know Boston College is going to bring the heat. North Dakota is going to come out swinging. Minnesota State is going to be a heavy hitter. Who else do we need to watch? Bemidji State! Bemidji State! <laughs> Jess listens to our podcast, clearly, because we have been banging the drum for Bemidji State. If you're looking at a, a clear-cut number two in the WCHA, you want to start by looking at Bemidji State and not Bowling Green. Do I think Bemidji State is going to make the NCAA tournament? I don't know, because here's the thing. I think that Bowling Green can leapfrog Bemidji State if they make it further in the WCHA tournament. I still have this wild crazy theory that WCHA gets three or four teams into the tournament but I don't know exactly how that falls because that's got a lot to do with all the other conferences right whose auto bid goes to you know the presumptive favorite and who ends up uh, with a surprise winner in each tournament but if I'm picking one team right now for my surprise team someone that you should watch out for that's not at the top necessarily I'm going to go with Wisconsin. They really put it together this year in a way that they've never been able to before. It's been a challenge under the Tony Granato era since he made it to the, the tournament in his first year, getting back, you know, being like 500 for three years. That's not Wisconsin hockey. This is a different team. They managed to put together really, really, really impressive wins against Minnesota and Michigan this year and prove that their team is probably one of the most well-rounded in that conference. I think they've got the right experience. They've got the right mix of talent. They've got better goaltending this year, and they've played better defense in front of them. I think that's not just the goaltending that makes Wisconsin different this year. I think it's the defense that they played in front of that goaltending. It starts from the forwards now. It doesn't solely rely on the defenseman. They get that back check going. They back pressure you. They don't want to make it into a game where you have the puck in their zone the whole time and then they chip it out and they quickly get an attack the other way. It's different now. So I think Wisconsin is my team you're going to have to watch out for. How in the world is St. Lawrence fifth in the pairwise? That's a great question. I have I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> pairwise has been amusing. I mean, Lake Superior State is up there. Nebraska, Omaha. Here's a team that's four, eight, and three, and they're ranked fifth. Huh? I would imagine that's probably due to the small schedule that they played, playing Quinnipiac and Clarkson as much as they did. That probably pushes them up, probably pushes Colgate up too. But this being the year that the pairwise isn't good, at least for some people, with St. Lawrence and Colgate, for that matter, those two teams at the bottom of the ECAC, when you say I think they're a better team this year than they are last year, I, I had a lot of people say to me, well, how do you know they only played the same three teams that didn't play everyone in their league? I think it's probably harder to play 
the same three teams all the time over and over because you know that those games, they're going to force you to change. You're not going to play the same four or five games against that same team every time. So the results that I saw out of the ECAC this year led me to believe that Colgate's a better team than they were last year. St. Lawrence is a better team than they were last year. And those teams beating up on each other this year in the ECAC might have actually done Quinnipiac or Clarkson or whoever's going to represent that conference in the NCAA tournament some good. They're going to be a tough team to beat. They are. Well, let's talk about something else for a second. Do you really think that this easy transfer rule where you just, hey, I don't want to play here anymore. I'm going over to XYZ school and I'm going to sign and I'm immediately okay to play. Is that making a difference? I think it will next year. I think next year's the year it makes the biggest difference due to all of the roster jiggling and, and, and moving around that's going to happen this season with all these rules and uh, allowing seniors to get a fifth year and come back. I do like it for the athletes, though, in the short run. I think that if you want to talk about student athletes and, and having all the things that they have and getting to go to school for free and, and living for free and, and doing all this stuff that you want to do with student athletes and, and that whole argument about some sort of benefit for them outside of what they currently have, you, you got to look at transfers as a potential way of giving them that. And I think that that's really important. And we found that out this year. I really like what the NCAA did in allowing that one-time free transfer. I do think that the way that it's traditionally set up so that you have to redshirt a year, two different semesters, fall, spring, like usual. I, I do kind of like that just more for my mental uniformity clock, you know, like I can, I can probably easier put together rosters of teams one year, two years down the line with stuff like that. But like, that's a really nitpicky thing for me to choose as my preference there. So I, I do think that this one-time transfer immediate eligibility ends up being good. It's what they, it's what the student athletes really, really needed right now. I think it's good to see the NCAA do right by them for that. Do I think it will be abused in some aspects? Sure. But I do think that what I've seen from the hockey side of things, it's going to be used fairly responsibly. Greg, I've got one more tournament question for you. We already talked about Army and how if they can pull out a win in this conference tournament, then AIC might also get a bid. Who are some teams that you can think of where if they don't win this tournament, they may just be kissing their chance at the big tournament goodbye? The first one that comes to mind is Omaha, Nebraska-Omaha. I think they're probably one of the most precarious bubble teams right now. They have shown that they are a worthy tournament team, but they're going into this tournament. They're going to face the NCHC tournament. They're going to open up against fifth seed Denver, who had a down year, but they made the Frozen Four two years ago. They sh probably should not be counted out whatsoever in the NCHC tournament. If they win that series, they're going to have to face North Dakota again, which they did. I don't even know. I lost track. It, it felt like they faced North Dakota about 20 times to end this season. They won the last one, but they did not win the first three. Yeah, Omaha is definitely the first answer there. I really like what they do, and I definitely saw this coming to a point, but just not as soon as their rise recently through the NCHC. I, I figured it might be next year that we see them take this step. It's been a really good thing for them to be competitive in this league. I just think that at the end of the day, they're in a really tough spot. The three teams above them, North Dakota, St. Cloud State, Minnesota Duluth, 
I consider them locks, all three of them. Omaha is where that line gets drawn, where that bubble starts to form. Outside of that, I do think there is a really big bubble team in Hockey East, and that's Boston University. If they somehow lost in the first round of the Hockey East tournament, that's going to be a really, really tough thing for the committee to have to evaluate. BU on paper, 10-3-1, and and you you turn them on for any five-minute portion of the game, and you think, wow, they're an exciting team. Uh, obviously very talented. BU gets some of the best talent in the country every year, and that's great. The teams that they beat outside of UMass, the collection wasn't that great. They ended up sweeping UMass. They needed one overtime game to do it, and they did get a win against BC. But outside of that, they did not beat anyone at the top of Hockey East. And I think that kind of weakens their record a little bit. I would actually probably look at a team like Providence, like Northeastern, like UConn, if I'm really trying to get the gist of how I think BU performs nationally at a NCAA tournament this year, when it comes time to, you know, look at all these bubble teams. But those would be my answers for that bubble right there. I'd go with Omaha and I'd go with BU. Greg, where can the people at home find you if they're looking for some of your content? On Twitter, go ahead and follow me at Greg D. Cam and check out collegehockeynews.com. We've got articles coming up pretty much uh, every day, every other day this March as we get into the uh, get into the fun stuff. Definitely looking forward to it. All right. Well, Greg, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Greg, thank you again so much for joining us. We definitely have a lot of exciting hockey in front of us. Thank you for giving us the breakdown. We're looking forward, A, to the hockey that we have coming up, and B, to having you on again. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thanks for having me again, guys. This is this is a fun time of year, isn't it? This is what we were missing. Really thankful to get to see this this year. Everyone be safe and enjoy the hockey. That's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Prospect Park for Jess, at Luke Legrano for myself. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I want to thank you guys for taking time to listen to us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Take care.